This is the Western Sydney Health Check with Harrison and Sia. Hello and welcome to Western Sydney Health Check. This week we're celebrating Patient Experience Week, so it's fitting today that we're speaking to a lady who spent many weeks as a patient in departments across Westmead Hospital. Julia was riding her motorbike on Valentine's Day this year when she had a head-first crash with a four-wheel drive, changing her life in an instant. I'm blessed to be alive, I really am. I'm so lucky to be alive. We'll hear more from Julia later in the show. Before then, Harrison speaks to Westmead Hospital junior doctor Mithila Zaheen about her volunteer work helping disadvantaged communities in Western Sydney. I love it here. I've grown up here. My parents work here. I just feel so at home and I feel like you can make a really big difference in Western Sydney. Also coming up on the show, Taylor is back with the best news of the week in the Pulse Top 3. But first, let's hear from a wonderful young doctor with an enviable work ethic. Thank you, Sia. It's my privilege to be joined now by Blacktown Hospital junior doctor, Mithila Zaheen. Mithila was raised in Western Sydney, studied at James Cook University in tropical North Queensland, and began her career at Blacktown Hospital last year, just as the pandemic hit. Earlier this year, she was recognised as a finalist for the Blacktown City Woman of the Year in recognition of her extensive volunteer work in the community. Mithila, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. We're in a position of privilege here in Australia with the COVID situation, but obviously this week in the news, we're seeing just horrifying updates from India and it's it's really a reminder of just how scary this disease is. I was wondering if we could start this interview by looking back at what it was like for you, you know, starting your medical career in the shadow of this disease when it was still new and, and relatively unknown. Starting my career as a junior doctor, that was probably the last thing we were expecting. Mm. I actually remember coming in in my orientation week and speaking to our DPET, who's actually an ID physician. And he said, oh, you know, I just got a first case of the novel coronavirus. And we thought, oh, oh yeah, that's something we've read about. And then a few months later, it was, you know, it was everywhere. Yeah. It had completely blown up and none of us had expected it to get to that extent. And I guess even now, things are kind of progressing and progressing. It was very, very challenging. Everything that we had planned for the year kind of got overhauled. But I think we also had a lot of good support from everybody. We were all kind of in this boat together, fighting this disease that we didn't really know about. It was definitely very challenging, but we were all fighting it together. What sort of changes did it mean for you? How was your first year different to, I guess, how you expected it to go? Well, I guess I had in my mind, I'd start a new hospital, I'd rotate through my terms, I would be kind of cycled through. But that all got changed. All of a sudden, all our timetables got changed. The priority wasn't to kind of uh, go through the motions it was more to be deployed to where you were needed the most so so many of us junior doctors instead of going through the rotations that we were initially supposed to be on redeployed to the COVID clinic you know some of us were actually stuck in rural sites to kind of prevent more community transmission so the rostering had you know serious changes that none of us were really expecting a lot of us were working lots and lots of overtime as well just changes to the structure and I guess what our role was not so much to be learning but kind of thrown in the deep end into where we were needed the most. Yeah, wow. And so for you, did you work in any COVID wards or testing facilities or anything like that? I personally didn't, but I was actually in Bathurst at the time. So I was on my uh, rural term and I actually had to stay there for longer because of the COVID pandemic. That was quite a big change, especially being somewhere that's even more under-resourced. It was quite scary, but again, it was it was really nice to have a good sense of community there and we were all kind of in the whole thing together. Yeah, that sense of camaraderie must have been really important for all of the medical staff at the time. Still imagine it was quite difficult for you. What sort of support did you have during that time? 
it was definitely very, very scary. I think it was probably one of the first times um, in recent history anyway that even doctors were really, really unsure and there was a lot of misinformation and um, conflicting information, even in the literature, about what this you know, disease was. So it was a really scary time. In terms of support, I guess it was kind of nice to be starting my medical career in that way. All of us interns who were, you know, fresh doctors had just finished medical school, we were going through that whole challenge together. So it definitely brought my kind of colleagues and group of intern friends a lot closer together. Even now when we reflect on what we went through last year, the whole experience definitely made um, our friendship blossom. You know what it's like when you go through something together. And I think I also had a lot of support from my family. I guess I'm very lucky to um, have a medical family as well. They were able to understand what I was going through. My brother is also a junior doctor at Blacktown, so it was really, really nice to have his support and somebody who understood what was happening. That's great. And I'd love to know more about your family. Can you tell me sort of about the family history there and uh, connections to the medical field? Funny story, actually. So my family, we're originally from Bangladesh. When we first moved to Australia, we settled in Western Sydney. And my parents' first ever jobs was working at Westmead Hospital. Wow. So my parents are both doctors. My mom is a GP, still working in Western Sydney. My dad is a cardiologist who actually works regionally at the moment. I spent, you know, my primary school, my high school growing up in Western Sydney. I've got an older brother who I mentioned is a junior doctor with me at Blacktown Hospital as well. And my younger sister is a medical student in her third year. So we all kind of followed the family traditions. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to talk more about that in a moment. <laughs> Thanks for, for mentioning your families from Bangladesh. As I was saying earlier, we know that while we're pretty privileged here in Australia, it's not like that around the world. How is the situation with COVID-19 in your family's home country? Yeah, so yeah, as you mentioned, it's been all over the news at the moment. My mother actually just came back from Bangladesh a few days ago. So she was just there. Unfortunately, we had a, a bit of a family tragedy. So in the middle of the pandemic, my mum had to go over there. The situation there is absolutely just saddening. I, I can't even put into words. You're seeing on the news, there's the ICUs are full, people are sharing beds, doctors aren't getting the correct PPE. It's really, really heartbreaking. I have immense um, respect and admiration for all the frontline workers who are working in those countries. I guess it just makes us reflect on how lucky we are in Australia to have the healthcare system that we do have. I just really, really feel for everybody who is suffering overseas. And I'm sorry to hear what your family is going through as well. I can only imagine how hard it must be to feel even more disconnected with the state of the world as it is right now. Does it put things in perspective a little bit for you with what we've been through in Australia? Absolutely. It just makes me feel really, really grateful and really grateful to have my mum back. She was stuck overseas for about three months with multiple cancelled flights and the country going into lockdown because of the you know more violent strains coming about. It was a very, very scary time. But again, like you mentioned, it's really put things into perspective. And this experience, has it influenced how you feel about medicine and about your career, maybe where you see yourself in the future? It's definitely <laughs> put things into perspective a lot more. I think it's really easy to get really fixated on the whole you know, rat race about what you're going to do in 10 years' time, how you're going to achieve your goal. But this has been a really, really good reminder that the reason we're doing this is to help other people and to help people that need it most been a really good refreshing yeah refreshing perspective go through this whole experience again I'm just really really grateful what we have you know we might be working late hours having you know a really really high workload but mm. I recently read a, a, a viral story about a JMO in India and the experience she was having and I read that and I thought wow you know, I, I really need to be grateful and think about making most of the opportunities that I'm given here because not everybody is in the same position and I know that it's not just your 
day job that keeps you busy as well. You're quite passionate about serving the community. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the volunteer work that you do? I think you know, even with everything going on with COVID, I really wanted to make volunteering, giving back to the community outside of work a big priority in my life. I think it's really important as well. It makes you feel really fulfilled and uh, it gives you something to do while you're not working. I've tried to make it a priority to be able to give back to the community and I've been volunteering for a few community organisations. So I'll just name a couple, I suppose. So I've been doing some tutoring for a Sudanese refugee community in Blacktown. I've been doing a little bit of homework club help with an Aboriginal corporation in Mount Druitt. Also been a new volunteer, actually, for the Waterworld Project. Those are just a couple of things that I like to do to keep myself busy and to also give back to the local community. That's wonderful. Well, there's a great need for that in Western Sydney, but obviously you've experienced it in regional Australia as well. Do you think that you see yourself sticking around here or would you like to go regional again or perhaps overseas? Do you have any idea yet where you see yourself in the future? Well, I guess I'm pretty open to either. I definitely do want to work um, in Western Sydney long term. Absolutely loved training up in tropical North Queensland. So I'm definitely open to going out regionally for a little while. But I love it here. I've grown up here. My parents work here. I just feel so at home and uh, I feel like you can make a really big difference in Western Sydney. So yeah, I hope I can stick around for a little bit longer. Absolutely. Well, we're very happy to have you here as long as you want to stay here. And uh, obviously the city of Blacktown definitely wants you to stick around as well. As I mentioned earlier, you were recognised as a finalist for Blacktown City Woman of the Year. How did it feel to receive that recognition on International Women's Day this year? Oh, it felt absolutely surreal. (laughs) Uh, When I went to the International Women's Day um, breakfast, and I saw all the other women and the calibre of all the other finalists, I <laughs> thought, what, what on earth am I doing here? <laughs> but it was just so inspiring. I'm just really, really grateful to be able to have experienced that and be in the presence of so many amazing women. I was so inspired after that breakfast. So I'm, I'm just glad I got to be there, honestly. Well, that's great. And I'm sure a lot of people are inspired just by hearing you speak as well. I was wondering if I could change tack a little bit as we wrap up. This week is patient experience week and so I was wondering from your perspective early in your career so far what do you think really makes a difference in delivering the best patient care in hospital? I think giving patients quality and giving patients that quality time is probably what makes the biggest difference. I'm a JMO working on a busy team. I know what it's like. You want to get home. You want to go through the ward round. You want to get everything done, get home on time but just taking a few minutes with each patient, explaining what's happening, speaking to their families, answering their questions. I think that makes all the difference. And I've noticed it with the team that I'm on now. The doctors that I'm working with are extremely passionate and really do take the time to make sure all the patients' questions and queries and concerns are answered. And I can tell that makes a huge difference for the patients and and hearing their feedback. It's really, really heartwarming. I know it's really, really busy, Mm. but just taking, you know, a few minutes at the end of your consult to talk to the patient, give them your quality time, listen to them and answer their questions, it'll really make a huge difference. Are there any particular memories that really stand out when you've taken the time to do that and it's really made a difference to a patient? On my last term, I had a gentleman who had a really prolonged, complicated stay in hospital and he had a condition that we were trying to get to the bottom of for so long. 
and it was really, really, really distressing to the family to see their loved one um, in such a vulnerable state and so different to what they were usually like. And my registrar, who was with me at the time, would always make an effort, no matter what, to call the family to keep them updated. And after this prolonged admission, they were finally being discharged. And, you know, after everything was sorted, they, they made a point to say thank you so much. And that's when it makes it all worth it, when the family, when they are happy and they said, I think the patient said, you know, I hope I'll see you again. And we said, we hope that we don't see you here again in hospital. <laughs> but it's nice that, you know, if you do end up here, that you'd want to see us. Yeah, that is nice. It must mean a lot to hear that, especially after yeah. putting in extra effort with a, a particularly challenging case. We, we got a bit attached, I think. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, Miss Filler, it's been a, a privilege speaking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And we do hope that you stick around in Western Sydney and I'm sure you'll have a, a bright career ahead of you wherever you go. Thank you so much. Thank you for all your support. Everybody has been yeah, just so lovely and supportive and I love being here. So I'm keen to see what the future holds as well. That's great to hear. Thanks for your time, Miss Filler. No worries. Thank you. There's a young woman with a very promising career ahead of her here in Western Sydney. As promised at the start of the show, we're going to hear now from a patient who spent many weeks in Westmead Hospital and still has a very long road to recovery ahead of her. This week across New South Wales Health, we are celebrating Patient Experience Week with the theme of Conversations in Human Experience. So joining me right now is a human that I'm going to have a conversation with, Julia. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks very much, Harrison. Now, Julia, you had a very unique experience as a patient of Westmead Hospital, one of the first patients in our new dedicated trauma ward in the Central Acute Services Building. Can you take me back and tell me what that was like for you while you were here? You know, the doctors, the nurses, the new ward. Tell me all about it. Look, I guess the first thing was going up into a new area. There was a bit of an outlook. There's night bright windows, the environment makes you want to get better because you you know it's 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 new it's clean i think for the nursing staff themselves they worked really well as a team so they were just a, a real dedicated group of people um as far as i know ha almost handpicked to be up there and it didn't matter actually who was meant to take care of you they all took care of me so mm. i was you know well looked after um every time um the, the trauma doctors uh they're there every day they're there every day to make sure you're on track, that, you know, you're doing what you've got to get done. If something's not quite right, then they're there to, to fix it, to tend to it. The experience of being up in the trauma ward was, was really, really unique and fantastic. That's brilliant. You know, back at the time that this ward opened on the podcast, we spoke to Jeremy Shu, who's the head of trauma here at Westmead. And we also spoke to Brittany Raj, who's the nurse unit manager there. Were there any of the staff in particular that really stood out to you that really made a difference to your care? Oh, do you want me to name names? I can't <laughs> name names. That'd be bad. No, um, because my I, the, the nursing staff changed. Clearly, your nursing staff changes daily. I was up there for I think a total of two weeks. Mm. Um, actually, in the trauma ward before I moved out of out of the trauma ward. I was getting better, so I didn't need that level of care anymore. It was the team atmosphere of each of the nurses, male and female, they were equally amazing, fun. We got on really well. We spoke at a good level and not just, well, you're not the patient and you're just not the nurse. It was a very humanised experience. Oh, um, and I'm really grateful for that interaction that they gave. So as you mentioned, while you were there, you needed that, that higher level of care. 
Was there anything that they did in particular that really stood out? Yeah, and I've got to say, it's going to sound funny, but it's the shower. For a girl to not have a shower for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, and all of a sudden I can get into this, it's called an Arjo bed, bed, and they can wheel me off and literally put warm running water all over my body. Previous to that, pretty much it was uh, lots of showers in, you know, just bed baths. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I've got hot running water over me. Now that's a bit of a drama for them to do it. So, and again, that came to that team atmosphere that they have. To start with, it took two, nearly three of them to be able to get me into that environment, yep. um, into that shower area. Wow. So I know it sounds silly, but a shower was like the best thing ever. That's great. And you mentioned a bit, it was the environment too, right? Having that view looking out in the, these bright rooms that really helped you to feel yeah look the 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 big windows being able to see trees from a distance um knowing that the sun rose and the sun set not looking at brick walls you know i had been in other wards previous to getting up to the trauma ward and and i'm a real outdoorsy sort of girl so to just see life outside was wonderful just seeing you know a butterfly fly past your window or a a bird you know swooping along was it's encouraging and did you have a lot of help from visitors as well? I'm very, very blessed. Harris and I had visitors nearly every single day that I've actually been in hospital. Mm. Even up until now, there's been that many visitors that I've been really lucky to have. Now, you've mentioned a little bit about your injuries, but I'm wondering if you can take us back to the accident and tell us what do you remember about how you ended up in our care here at Westmead? The actual accident, I don't remember much at all. Um, my brain and my body have just blinked all of that out parts I can remember I did come to sometime after and I saw that my hand was broken and the bone was exposed I remember someone talking to me about cutting my leathers off and I went oh yeah whatever was going on my head and I remember the whir of the helicopter wow that's Um, it I remember the whir of the helicopter and, and then that was that was all I can kind of remember. Mm. And then nothing. That first week is just an absolute blur. And so then the helicopter just brought you to the nearest ICU that had a bed available, which was here at Westmead? Yeah, Maine. I heard that that was how it works. Whoever's got the trauma team available as well as the ICU bed available. And I've got to say, I was, I was blessed to be able to taken to Westmead was the place to be. It really was. I've had the best care. I've got the best doctors. Uh, I've just been very, very lucky all the way through. Can you tell us a little bit about the extent of your injuries? Yeah, my injuries were pretty bad. From what I hear, I hit a four-wheel drive with my motorbike. I flew apparently 10 metres through the air and landed on the ground on the other side. So what that's done is had both knees have been, I think a bit more than broken. I think they, they, you know, crushed, smashed. Mm. They had to be fixed back together. My wrist had to be fixed back together. I think the worst thing was I'd, uh, I'd, I'd smash my pelvis and one of the bones out of there had actually gone through and torn my bladder as well. My injuries were quite big. I had broken a couple of ribs. My lungs had, I think, slightly collapsed. Yeah, the list is quite extensive, and so the repairs are quite long as well. I can imagine it'd be a long road ahead of you still, but you did... Yeah, I have. You mentioned you're out of Westmead now. It's been a couple of months since the accident. How are things going for you? Back on my side of the world, which um, which is down in the northern beaches, Um, I'm in a private hospital down here, which is dedicated to rehabilitation. I've got three sessions, three one-hour sessions a day, either in the hydro pool, um, at a physio, at the occupational therapist. So 
trying to get full range of my wrist, my hand. When I left Westmead, I wasn't able to use my knife and fork. I couldn't hold a fork strongly enough to cut with my knife. I can do that now. Um, right. So they're small wins. Mm -hmm. um, I still have to walk aided with a four-armed um, trolley. I don't know what a FASF, as they call it. I don't know the, the correct name of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it has four wheels. Yeah. Um, I need my elbows to support me. I can't support myself on my wrists with crutches. Um, I did find the last thing that I did when I left Westmead was I had a, an operation just beforehand and I had uh, the external fixation removed from my pelvis and I had the cast removed from my arm. So uh, that meant that my arm didn't have the strength to use crutches and I still don't have that strength yet. So still repairing, still mm. aiming towards that. Still got a long way to go. That, that operation found that one of the pins in my pelvis had dislodged somewhere along the line and that meant that instead of being able to use both feet at the moment, I'm still only putting one leg on the ground and the other leg I have to just touch weight bear on it. So I still don't have full weight bearing status on both legs yet. And do you find it frustrating not being able to do all these things that used to be second nature to you? At some point you have to get your brain around, this is where you are at the moment. I'm blessed to be alive. I really am. I'm so lucky to be alive. So many people have done so much work to put me back together. For me to be frustrated would be, I don't know, I think rude on my behalf. I'm, I'm just very grateful for everything that everybody's doing. I still can't make a meal for myself, so somebody's providing food every day. I can't make my bed. Somebody makes my bed every day. Someone washes my linen. I have friends that have to wash my clothes for me. Frustrated is not one of the words I need to use at this point in my life. Um, mm. Blessed is where I'd be up to. I love that. That is a great attitude. Thank you for sharing that with us, Julia. Through all of the the challenges and what you've overcome so far, do you feel like there's anything you've learned about yourself? Didn't understand how people thought about me. And I think most people would be along those lines. How are you thought of? And that's shown with the amount of people who've rung me, contacted me. And I didn't post this on social media, so it wasn't a big cry out for help. No, I didn't put my accident on my Facebook page. It's only recently it's gone on and, you know, I said, oh, look, here I am and, and you know, pop down and see me. But before that time, I still had tons of visitors at Westmead mm. and, and family have been unbelievably supportive. I've got two amazing sons, a couple of grandkids that, um, you know, they just make your day. I think that's where you, you get your strength from is, is the people around you. How great to know that even without asking for it, so many people were willing to do whatever they could to help. That must feel wonderful to know that. It, absolutely. It's very humbling is truly the word. It's very humbling to know that you're thought of in such a lovely way that people would like to come and help you. And, and it's just been just wonderful. It really yeah. has. That's yeah. great. And to finish, I guess the million-dollar question is, are <laughs> you planning to get on a motorbike again? Ah, oh, that's such a big question. Do you know what? If you'd asked me six weeks ago, I would have gone nuts. If you asked me last week, I would have gone, meh. You're asking me today, I'm kind of maybe. Okay, I've been bad enough to actually gone onto bike sales and looked at bikes again. So maybe that's <laughs> <laughs> maybe it maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. I'll probably get back on one just to have a ride, just to say I can do it. 
I won't be able to do that until I can walk again, until I can, you know, pull a clutch in again. That left hand is needs a lot, lot, lot more strength and a lot more work. It's definitely an in the future moment. Much to come between yeah. now and then, but uh, lots to go between here and then. Yes, definitely sounds to me like we'll see you on a bike again. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Julie, it's been lovely catching up with you. So great to hear that you're doing better and that that road Thank to recovery you. is continuing. Thank you so much for your time on our podcast today. Thanks, Harrison. Thank you, Julia, for sharing your story with us again. Your attitude is truly an inspiration and I have no doubt you'll conquer every hurdle in your path to recovery. Finally, let's hear from Taylor with the Pulse Top 3. Hey, it's Taylor and I'm bringing you the top three stories of the week on thepulse.org.au. Three. 84-year-old Blacktown Hospital patient Renee Roach makes sure she never forgets to tell her late husband Jim how her day was and wish him goodnight, even if she can only do this through a photo. In fact, Jim followed Renee to Blacktown Hospital after she was brought into the emergency department following a fall from her chair. Fall in love with Renee and Jim's epic love story at thepulse.org.au. Two. At number two, patients experiencing cardiac arrest are in safe hands at our hospitals thanks to the state-of-the-art training available to our staff. Epic Games is the company behind action scenes in The Mandalorian and video games like The Rocket League, and they're throwing a grant worth $50,000 US behind an innovative virtual reality program from researchers at Westmead Hospital. See how doctors and nurses can test their advanced life support skills using virtual reality on The Pulse now. One. Coming in at number one in The Pulse Top 3. Mount Druitt Hospital nurse Kathleen Milton has been awarded for her excellence in trauma-informed care. The award is part of a staff recognition program called the BMDH Care. The humbled Mary mother of four has been nursing since 1976 and has worked at Blacktown and Mount Druitt Hospital since 1993. Read more about Kathleen's service and her fellow award winners for April at thepulse.org.au. I'm Taylor, and that's it for The Pulse Top 3, online all the time at thepulse.org.au. Thanks for listening to Western Sydney Health Check. This podcast is brought to you by the Corporate Communications team at Western Sydney Local Health District. Our program today was produced and edited by Carlos Furtado and Tim Dunlop. Harrison Vesey and Sia Anthopoulos are your hosts, and I'm Taylor Massingham. Find us at thepulse.org.au. Western Sydney Health on Facebook and Twitter and Humans of the Hospital on Instagram. If you have any feedback or program ideas, email us via the address in the show notes.